Hallelujah. Well, are you ready this morning? Amen. Last week we started this lesson on the rapture. A lot of times people say, well, what's so important about the rapture? Why should we be concerned about that? Because if it's real and you don't go, you're going to have a problem. Amen. You're going to say, man, uh, there, there'll be a lot of people. How, how many have heard of any of the Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye, any of those guys? And, and that's always an encouragement to see, have people look at things. And this morning, here's what's important uh, that we do. There are so many views, and we're going to cover a few different views this morning, but there are so many views concerning the Word of God and what the Bible says uh, about different areas that it is important that we go back and find out what does the Word say. And when it comes to... Uh, especially Bible prophecy, end-time events, um, there, there are different viewpoints. Uh, there, there is what's called amillennialism, and that is that there is no dispensations. We're just in this age right now. There, there, we're in the millennial, the full reign of God, and God is doing everything, and somehow the world's going to work itself out. And, that, and that's really in Catholicism, it is all millennialism. The Reformed theology, it deals in an area of replacement theology. And in that, there, there is a, a, most of them are either a mid or a post-tribulation rapture and the catching away of the saints, then we kind of go up, come right back down, do a quick elevator ride, come back down, reign with Christ, kind of cool. Um, and, and from that standpoint, I guess. But from uh, the other part is the premillennial and in the area in which we are as our church. People say, what is your church belief? We are a dispensational church. Believe that God deals with things in different times, in different seasons with people. He has a way that he's dealing with humanity in that time. And we'll touch on it here in a moment. Uh, we'll show you a timeline that shows you where there was in the garden. It was called the dispensation of innocence. There was no sin. Man walked in innocence in relationship with God. Then after the fall, man moved into the dispensation of conscience where God interacted with man and man with God based just upon his conscience leading and directed him. And then God called out the nation of Israel and Moses and he gave them the law and we entered into the dispensation of the law. And that is how God has dealt with man up until the time that Christ came. And then we came into what we are in today, the church age, and the dispensation of grace. How many are thankful for grace? Amen. We are saved by grace by faith, through grace, in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by Christ alone. Amen. Not of our own works. He did it all. We, by grace, we enter into that. And so part of this, with the rapture that we found out, we dealt with part of it last week, and that in dealing with this, when we get into a study like this, this is more than just a normal Sunday morning service. This is some in-depth teaching. We're going to give you a lot of information. And I want to encourage you, become a student of the word. It takes some time to study God's word and to find out what the word of God says. In fact, 2 Timothy, we gave it to you last week, 2 Timothy chapter 2 in the Amplified says, study and do your best to present yourself to God approved. That's that encouragement. Present yourself to God approved. A workman tested by trial who has no reason to be ashamed, accurately handling and skillfully teaching the word of truth. But it takes some study to understand the word of God. Our problem is we live in an instant age. Today, Pastor Sue and I, we do a lot of stuff together. We were just away for a couple of days in Santa Cruz. So we were Googling, where's this place? Where's that place? We're pulling up on the map. Let's have access to anything. You have a question about anything, you just Google it. It like pops up. It's like Google's like the, the modern Holy Ghost or whatever. You know, he just knows everything. He just gets everywhere. Kind of flaky though. He doesn't have all reception. 
So, I mean, so anyway, but, but, but we're so used to having instant, easy access to everything. What happens is, is that the culture of our day, the climate that you live in, begins to have an effect on your relationship with God. And how you approach life, how you do life, it, it'll, it'll bleed over into how your relationship is with God. And sometimes when it comes to living for God, there's only one way to do it. And that's on your knees and with your Bible and with time and, and, and with the investment and just some good old elbow grease and study. Amen? And so it's important that we do the work of study. Father, I thank you this morning and in the next few moments that will be led by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, in this moment, at this time, we need you to be our teacher. We need you to come and do what Jesus said you would do, that you would lead us and guide us into all truth. We need you to open the eyes of our understanding. We need you to help us have our hearts be receptive to the word. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. We invite your presence. Take what's been prepared. Place your anointing upon it. And allow us to hear with clarity. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. How many have ever heard anything about Bible prophecy in your walk with the Lord? You've ever heard any lessons or teaching on that in walking with the Lord? How many know if you've heard anything about that and you look at where the world is today, you could say, you know what, it looks like most of everything is being fulfilled. We're getting close to the end. Well, if that's true, and the Bible does, when you read your Bible, how many know this book has a beginning and it has an end? And so when we look at Bible prophecy, it gets to looking closer, like we're getting closer and closer. We're closer to the end than we are to the beginning. How many could just agree with that? Okay, we may not know when the end is, but, you know, we're a long ways from the beginning, and we're a lot closer to the end than we've ever been before. I said it last week, my grandfather preached every year, this could be the year that the Lord comes. And this could literally be the year that the Lord comes. There really is no other prophetic uh, uh, declaration that needs to be uh, fulfilled before the return of the Lord. Nothing else needs to be done. Everything has been fulfilled. Israel has been a nation. The key to Bible prophecy is always Israel. Isn't it amazing that out of the whole world that God found one place on the globe that he just touched and he says, Israel is my fingerprint of ownership. The, the earth has, a, has the fingerprint of God on it, and his fingerprint is Israel and that land. And everything, the culmination of everything in the scriptures has to deal with how the world and the nations relate to his people, Israel. Amen? Amazing. So when you watch Israel and the culmination of what happens and you get to the book of Revelation, and I'll leave that up to Brother John. He does a better job in that. He's much more studied than I am. So we're praying for him to have a healing in his body completely so we can bring him out again. Amen? Because I shouldn't be doing his job. Praise the Lord. Amen. But look at this. God's got a purpose. God has got a purpose. He does everything on purpose and for purpose and according to his eternal purpose. God is a God of purpose. If you don't understand that when you read the Bible, you begin to make some mistakes. Everybody look up here just for a moment. God is not a God of emotion. He has emotion, but he doesn't operate by emotion. We want God to respond. We are emotional people. The most of our decisions and our responses flow out of our emotions. Thank you for that holy house that confirms I'm true. Amen. And so we want God to be as emotional about our circumstance as we are. God says, I will never move by emotion. I will only move by my word. There's a reason he gave us his word. He said, this is what I will do. And he can never let his emotion violate his word. His love for us can never 
violate his word. He's bound by his word. And so that's why it's important that you need to know what the word says. Because while you're waiting for God to be emotional and show up with you and be an enabler... Like every good parent is, then you'll be waiting a long time. So you always have to ask the question of purpose. You always have to ask the question of purpose. First John chapter three and verse eight says this: "He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning." Now watch this: "For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might what? Destroy the works of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's what Jesus did. He made a triumphant display over them. He triumphed over the devil, over principalities and power, conquered them, destroyed them, and then gave us and left us with authority over all the power of the enemy. Amen? So Jesus fulfilled that. But that was his purpose in coming and doing that. His, the, the purpose that God us back. Now, it encompasses a lot of other things, but the manifest purpose was to destroy the works of the devil. Look at John chapter 14 and verse 1. Jesus, on his last night with his disciples, he's teaching them, and he says this, Do not let your heart be troubled, afraid, cowardly. Believe confidently in God. <clears throat> excuse me, trust in him, have faith, hold on to it, rely on it, keep going, and believe also in me. In my Father's what? House. House are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to my father's house and I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, as we get in this, we did last week, we're going to show you the distinction between Israel and the church and a little bit this morning between what gets mixed up between the second coming of the Lord and the Lord coming for the church, that there are actually two comings, that he comes in the air and then he comes to the earth. And the second coming, he comes in judgment and he sets up his throne and he rules the nations with a rod of iron, as we're going to read in a moment. But in, second, in the first coming, he comes back for the church and he's fulfilling what he has said here, that he's going to prepare a place for us. And look at this next part. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and I will take you, one translation says, receive you to myself so that where I I am there you may be also how many know Jesus is in heaven right now the father's dwelling place is in heaven or let me give it back it up and give it to you like this this book is a book of time the Bible begins in eternity and ends with eternity and in between it has the plan of redemption that gets man out of time and back into eternity with God that's really, in, in a nutshell, if I could give it to you, that's really what it is. You were born, you have an eternal stamp upon your life. <coughs> Excuse me. Every person is born with eternity stamped out. You are an eternal being. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. You were created by God. God formed his original purpose for man. Go back to purpose. Man was created for fellowship with God. Not fellowship with the devil. Not for everything this world has. Not to live at the lowest level possible. Not to try to find the least common denominator of performance in your life. I must be preaching really good. I'm not getting much support this morning. 
Amen. But on that, you were created for fellowship with God, and you're an eternal being. And the reality is you're going to spend eternity somewhere. As I said in first service, what's amazing is, is that if you go, when missionaries have gone to the most remote regions of the world and found tribes that have never had any interaction with anybody else in the world, they'll find that they have a, a, a concept of worship. That they believe in some type of all-powerful creative being and there is an accountability and they understand right and wrong and accountability. And they believe that if you torque off whoever they believe is the higher power, that judgment comes. And most of them have better theology than most churches today. They're moving right on. Anyway, but, but and, and never have they found a tribe that, that had an inscription that they came from monkeys. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> and so Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. And then he says this. I hit the wrong thing. Now I really hit it. I turned my power off. Hold on one second. I'm being challenged this morning. I'm challenging myself. I got the power. I got it back. I'm back. And if I go to prepare a place for you, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where, where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Amen? So there is no other way. So then these two questions have to be asked. What is God's purpose for Israel? And what is God's purpose for the church? If you don't get this right, in church world, those, everything comes down to these two issues. Is the church Israel? Is Israel the church? Are we together? Are we blended together? So we want to cover these areas this morning. If we get these wrong, everything else that follows will be wrong. Get this this morning. Israel is God's nation. Israel is God's nation. Jesus is God's man. Okay? You have to understand that. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, Israel is God's nation is how God interacts. And when you get to the book of Revelation, you find out that all the interaction is between God and nations, not God and individuals. And so I don't have time. I'm, I'm giving you highlights. I don't have time to go into all this in order to do that. But with Jesus, we're supposed to go into all the nations and preach the gospel to individuals. We're not there to go to conquer nations. We're not go there to, to do re, uh, uh, restructuring, rebuilding, nation building. That's not the goal of the church. The goal of the church is to go and find the called out ones that are in a nation. To go and find those at the Holy Spirit. And that's why you can go to any nation of the world. It's good to have the Austins back from Turkey. They were there for the last nine days ministering there. But you can go to Turkey. You can go to Eurasia. You can go to Kubikistan, Uzbekistan, Kajikistan, Dagakistan, and any stand you want. And you can preach the gospel to them. And 
people in those nations will receive Christ and come to Christ as their Savior. And so individuals in nations will be saved through the man Christ Jesus. But nations will be judged by their interaction with Israel. And so all those nations right now that are warned against them, the Islamic war against Israel that wants to annihilate Israel, those nations will have a day of accounting before God. And God will judge nations based upon how they've reacted to Israel. But every man will give an account based upon how he has received Christ. So nations will be judged corporately, but man will be judged individually. And because it is, God has to be righteous and he has to be judged, and he can't judge a nation corporately without giving individuals how many are glad that, 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 that you, 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 if you're in a crowd that, that's creating problems, they can't just arrest a crowd and charge everybody. They can't punish everybody for what one person is doing. Amen? And so God can't judge a nation corporately without giving individuals the opportunity to repent. Amen? And so God has to be righteous and just in all of his way. So God will judge the nations of the world through Israel. God will judge every man through Christ. Every promise to Israel is as a nation on the earth. When you read the promises, Israel is looking. That's how they miss Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, as Hamashiach. Because they said when the Christ comes, he will establish the throne of David. The disciples answer him, are you going to set up the kingdom at this time? Judas betrays him because he said he's not doing it the way I think he should do it. So I'm going to force his hand. If I betray him, he will have to rise up and lead us in victory. And we'll kick the Romans out of here. And we'll have our nation back. And he found out. God doesn't need our help. Every promise to Israel is as a nation on earth. Every promise in Christ is personal and heavenly, as we read in John chapter 14. Every prophetic word to Israel is as a nation and is listed, and is, excuse me, and is tied to the earth, their land and the nations of the world. Every prophetic word to the church is tied to Christ in heaven. I mean, no, right now we're seated with him in heavenly places. Everything about our hope is heavenly. We are looking. We are expecting. We're going. When people pass away, we read them the scriptures that give us the hope of heaven. Amen? And so that's where our heart is. Israel is earthly, and Jesus and his church is heavenly. Peter said it like this, the church is a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Galatians tells us that it's made up from every tribe and tongue. It is neither Jew nor Greek. It has no national identity. The church or the called out one, is not, it, has a, it doesn't have a set national identity. We're going to find out, break that down in a little bit here. And that's why I said last Saturday when we were at the Persian New Year and, and we had a, 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 a born-again, spirit-filled Iranian pastor uh, 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 they're preaching, and then Khadijah and Muhammad, who are our friends and have a church here, born-again, spirit-filled Christian, they're there. And, and then we have a, a, a Messianic Jewish rabbi that's kneeling down, washing their feet. So you have a Jew washing the feet of Iranians who used to be Muslims who got saved. And you see this restoration going on. He goes, the Holy Spirit told me tonight to come and that I would wash your feet. So here we are and he's washing their feet. And, 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 and then I got an Armenian pastor and we're up behind there. We're praying. I got a Ukrainian, I, I mean, a, yeah, a Ukrainian pastor over here, a Russian pastor. And we're praying. So we got all these nations. We got a Hispanic guy. So we got all these guys there. And then we got, like I said last week, me, Heinz 57. So I'm in there and we're just all praying together but you have the church 
It, it, it is a holy people. It, it doesn't have that one national identity. Its citizens are members of a kingdom. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. And our problem is we live in a world that gets us so focused on everything here. And we want God to fix everything here. Fix this, fix that. Amen. It ain't going to happen. We're headed for an end. Amen? And Colossians 1 and 13 says we've been delivered. It's amazing that Jesus said over 31 times in Matthew said the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And he illustrated what it's like. And it was nothing like what's on the earth. He used principles we could understand. But he was talking about a kingdom that is not of this world. Amen? So let me talk to you about the church age just for a moment. The church age began at Pentecost, and it runs to the rapture. It covers that time period when the church is on the earth, or believers in Christ. The church meaning those who are believers in Christ as Lord and Savior are on the earth. Scripture makes a distinction between the nation of Israel and the church. When you begin reading, there's a distinction. When, when, when we begin to overblend or improperly blend the church and Israel together, we get confusion in our prophetic interpretation or in our eschatology, the, the study of things to come. The church age will end with the rapture or the catching away of the saints or Jesus fulfilling John 14, coming back and receiving us to himself. And then there's another age begin and, and then we go in with the age, the dispensation of grace ends, the church age ends and then we go into the time of God's judgment and the culmination of all things. And this is not replacement theology of the church replacing Israel in role or in scripture. The church is not Israel. The church is not Israel. We are grafted in, as we're going to see in a moment. So last week we showed you this timeline. And if you look at it here, it shows us that in this area. And so this is where we live. You see on the bottom there, right above corruption, that between the cross and between the rapture of the church, we are living in the church age. If you have your Bible, go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Are you doing all right this morning? Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3. You say, Pastor, why is this so important? Because what's tied to the rapture is the imminent return of the Lord. And what that means, the imminent means immediate, at any moment, at any time, unexpectedly, the Lord could return. And the early church fathers preached the imminent return of the Lord. And people lived respectfully before God, and people lived in holiness and true righteousness because they lived to be ready. And what's happened today is we've become desensitized. And like I said last week, I have the one uh, uh, pastor friend that writes me and just says, hey, if he was coming back, he would have come by now. And so what that means is not come back. So we'll start thinking up different things. We come up with a different viewpoint, a different way of seeing. But our early church fathers, every one of the apostles when they preached, why do I need to get saved today? Paul says today we're going to see is the day of salvation. Get ready today because you don't know when, at what hour, at what time. Live and be ready. And so it kept us in a state of urgency and awareness and preparedness before the Lord. Are you with me? But if you take this out, we got all kinds of time. Ain't no big, one of these days, and you'll hear people, well, you know, one of these days I need to get back in church. One of these days I need to straighten myself out. One of these days I need to do this. Well, I hope you have one more day. 
The early church didn't live with, they, they live with, I may not have one more day. Today is the only day you know. The air you're sucking right now, that's the only air you're guaranteed of. Amen. This is the only time, this is your time. You don't know what's on tomorrow. You can't get into tomorrow. You can't shape tomorrow. You live in today. And today has to be lived as if it is your last day. And that's an urgency that I gave. So the church age is here for us, and we see the church there in between. And like I said, innocence, you go back to creation, you have the creation of man, and then the fall of man. So we go from innocence to conscience to law, and now we're in this dispensation of grace, and then the church is caught up and taken out. And then the seven-year, which marks the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, as we're going to read in a moment, because that which is restraining, there's something in the earth that is restraining the lawless one, Paul said. And that's the church and the Holy Spirit and the presence of God is a restraining factor. You and I, as the body of Christ, we're a restraining factor in the earth. He is being held at bay, but once that restrainer is taken away, he's allowed to have his free course. And he gets that seven-year span of a free course. Are you with me? All right. Now watch it. The problem with the church is that it's a little mysterious. There's a mystery around it. And so, when we don't understand things, we like to make things up. That's why it's important to go back to it. What does the Word say? I'm still, I'm telling you, I said it first, I'll say it again. I'm going to find somebody. Maybe you want to help me do the research. Find, if somebody wants to help me research online, find somebody that makes these embroidered uh, lanyards right here, wrist, wrist bracelet lanyards and stuff, because we want to get them embroidered again. This has WDTWS. What does the Word say? We said, that's a great idea. That's a good thought. That's awesome. Sounds good to me. But I'm just curious. What does the word say? And a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about a lot of stuff. And you just ask, that's a great thought. Where'd you get that thought? Is it out of the Bible? Because like I said last week, you can take a thought and go to the Bible and confirm anything you want from the Bible. We could be the church of suicide. Amen. No, I, 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 okay. Judas went out and hung himself. Two scriptures. Judas went out and hung himself. Go ye and do likewise. No, you're going to, but, but are you listening to me? You can take the word and make it say anything you want. That's why you have people that come to you and they knock on your door and they witness to you and they won't let you read the whole word. Then we'll read this verse, read this verse, read this verse. We're the church, we're the ark, we're the this, we're the that. No, well, let's just read the whole Bible. Let's sit down and read the whole book. Let's read that whole chapter, not just that verse. I mean, let's go through the whole thing and put it all together. And when it comes to eschatology and prophecy in these things, you have to study the whole of it, not just a part of it. In this lesson, we can't do it. Tuesday night, we'll answer some questions, dive into this a little deeper, go into Romans chapter 11 a little deeper. But this morning, I only get to give these introductions. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. If you have your Bibles and you turn there, say amen. amen. Okay, watch it. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, excuse me, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, the stewardship or the, 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 the ability and, and, and what's the season that's been entrusted to me to minister to you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, everybody say mystery, as I wrote before in a few words, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, 
as it is now being revealed to the Spirit, by the Spirit, to his holy prophet, apostles and prophets. Now, uh, David, go back one slide to that. There we are. And, and look at that. But see, so through all this time, here's this church, and through all this time, all the way from creation, all the way up to the life, this church age, this mystery has been there, but it's been hidden, but then now it's brought to the surface. Are you with me? Okay. And so, <clears throat> and the church that he's talking about here and, and this mystery is the church. Now look at verse 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace given me by the effective working of his power. To me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's this mystery, but it's connected to an eternal purpose. So from the beginning, God has had a purpose. And like I said, the purpose is redemption to get us where we came out of eternity into time, back into eternal fellowship with him. Are you with me? And so God has given us this purpose. And he's working out his Plan. Now, the term church is mentioned 79 times and only in the New Testament. And I want you to hear this this morning because the term church is a translation of the word ecclesia that is not in the original language. Church is not the proper definition of ecclesia. Church was instituted into the English translation of the Christian Bible, the term church. We, the, so we've used it for so long, we use it back and forth. It's kind of like Easter. We, we say Easter, but you know we mean Resurrection Sunday, all right? But we've said Easter for so long that people get confused. Okay, well, Resurrection Sunday, when's that? Uh, Easter. Well, why don't you say Easter? All right, we won't confuse you. We'll go back to saying it wrong. Amen. <laughs> But the church means a calling out. Or out of the world, out of Israel, and out of the Gentile, God has called out those who would receive Christ. And, and he is, it, it's a calling out, and it is an assembling together. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And so we, we have church, and we, so we start thinking structure. We work within the confines of what we know. But Jesus says, I will assemble my people. I will assemble. And now you understand why Hebrews 10.25 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And we belong to the most spiritual denomination because we are the assemblies of God. Not <laughs> Amen. That's a joke. Back up the truck. Amen. So watch it. Anyway, but, but, but the term assembly, the, ter the term church was given and was written by the English translators. And the problem is, is that when that gets written like that, it begins to draw a very distinct line between Israel and those who are being grafted in. 
And that's where we get, a, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in church culture today, in Christianity, in different segments of Christianity. And it's based upon how this interpretation came about. See, Israel as a nation has been in existence for thousands of years at the coming of Christ. And then he brings into existence the church or his called out assembly, which as Paul said, is a mystery that we read about, which has been hidden, but is now being revealed. The word mystery is a derivative. It's mysterion. It's a derivative of muo. To, it means to shut the mouth. <laughs> How many of you ever said, I'll tell you this, don't tell anybody else. You know what you're telling them? Keep your mouth shut. Amen. A secret or a mystery through the idea of silence imposed by initiation into religious rite, mystery, all that stuff. Cool. But Ephesians 1, as we read, he made, Paul said, he made known to me the mystery. In Romans chapter 11, verse 25, Paul says, I desire that you should not be ignorant of the mystery. That you would not be ignorant of the mystery. And the mystery there is that the, 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 the casting away of Israel and the blindness of their eyes and the hardening of the heart that you and I might receive the gospel. You, you want to hear, well, I, I don't have time. I can't go there. We won't finish. Tuesday night, we'll get into Romans 11. The unsearchable riches of Christ, who is the head of the body, who is the head of the church, and we are his body, Paul says there is also in part of that mystery. Amen? Now look at this. See, we are the wild grafted into the natural. If you've ever done any tree stuff like that or do anything else, then you, you, you take something from something else, another plant. We, we have all kinds of different fruits to read. We have tanjolas. Tangerine and an orange grafted in together, and so they, they get a blended DNA. Nectarines are, come out of a grafting. There are other fruits. You, you get plucots, plums and apricot, pluots or whatever, plucots, pluots or whatever they're called. You get those, amen? But by grafting one into another, and what, what, what is grafted into the root is changed by the nature of the root. Amen? And so in there, but look at for you and I were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted in contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree. How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? And that's what Romans said. There's a mystery that what God is doing with Israel is so that you and I could be saved. What God has done, and, and I'm a little bit ahead of myself and I can't get into it, but it says there that God is literally going to give Israel their day of atonement. They have yet to receive their day of atonement. And that will be when Jesus Christ comes back, he will stand as Messiah. And on that day, he will also stand as the high priest and he will sprinkle his blood upon the nation of Israel. And as the high priest who has already been justified in heaven, he will have a right to declare that all Israel is saved and under that the same way that, that Aaron as a high priest would go into the temple and he would take the blood and as the priest who presented one sacrifice for the sins of the nation would then declare the nation covered 
by the blood of the lamb that was slain. Christ will stand as the slain lamb, as the royal priest, and he will declare a day of atonement for Israel. God will fulfill it, and he will be righteous, and he will be just in pardoning their sins because he's given you unmerited favor. He's shown his grace upon you. He forgave you when you did not deserve it. God sprinkled the blood of Christ upon you, and he called you saved. Amen. In the same way. And so we're grafted into the natural. We are the recipients of the spirit of adoption. You have been adopted into the family. And you now receive the nature of the family. So in that sense, we are blended into Israel. We are one with them. Grafted into the natural family of God from every nation, every tribe, and every time. We are grafted in and we take on the nature. We cannot boast against the root. We must find our identity in what Jesus declared to the woman at the well. Salvation is of the Jews. Amen. We just partook of a Jewish festival. You're holding a Jewish Bible written by Jewish apostles and prophets. Everything you believe, you're you're a joint heir into Jewish promises. You're a joint heir with Abraham. You're grafted in to the called out family. You're adopted. You're just as if you were born in. You were born of a different seed, but you've been adopted into this seed. Hallelujah. You doing all right? And so what it means is, look at this next slide, is that Israel may look a little ragged right now. And this is the problem because the church has been grafted in and we are in the church age. So the church is doing great. church is doing great. Problem is, we're getting a little egotistical. When you look at us, aren't we doing great? Look at all that we're doing. Yeah, but Bubba, you're sucking your life out of the root. Everything we are is through being connected to the root. We're grafted, we are grafted, that's Paul said, that to the Gentile, I'm sent to the Gentile, that they might be partakers. Ephesians says that you were strangers and you were alienated from the covenants of God, but now we've been brought into fellowship. Amen? Are you doing all right? All right. So the church, the called out ones, began in Israel with the Jew first and then the Gentile. All of the apostles were Jewish. As I said, our Bible is written by Jews. Our heritage is Jewish. We are now joint heirs according to the promises given to Israel. I will never forget the night. When Larry and Chris and I went to Kufi three or four years ago this year, and we're sitting at the dinner table there on Monday night, and Daniel from Samaria, a Jewish brother, an ambassador from, from the region of Samaria is there, and he comes and he sits down at our table. He sits down next to me. We begin to talk. And we begin to share, and he begins to tell me about what's going on in Israel, and I'm listening to him, and I'm beginning to weep, and he's telling me what's going on. He says, when we began to build the settlements in Samaria there, we began to resettle there, and we started looking, we tried to do an agriculture, we started planting these other things, and then our rabbi said, wait a minute, it is written in Jeremiah 31 that they will replant the vineyard on the hills of Samaria, and the children will drink, and I go, and, and they so, so we went out, and we took the word from Jeremiah and we begin to replant vineyards. I said, let me just back you up just a second. You said you went out and begin to operate upon a 2600 year old prophecy and that prophecy is coming true today. He said, yep. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. I thought God was done with Israel. 
That's what many say today. Replacement theology said, no, God's no longer fulfilling his word. I said, well, and so he says, we're doing this, and now we plan. And then we found out as we, began, we had the people come out, and they began to do the research on the soil. And they said, man, this soil is perfect for that. And I said, but there were rocks, and there's many erosion. And they said, you can't plant here. And then he goes, but we are people of faith. So we kept planting on the word of God and we planted. And within five years, our wines were producing some of the sweetest grapes, had the highest sugar content and producing some of the best quality wine in all of Israel. We're winning a war and, and getting, because we found out the hills of Samaria have a bioclimate that is conducive to growing grapes. So when God said, I will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria, not only did he put the soil there, but he made a microclimate that is conducive on those hills to grow grapes in an exceptional rate. And so that after something's been, after a seed of his word has been laying there for 2,600 years, seems like a long time for a word to come to pass. The word that the Lord is coming back for his church is over 2,000 years old. But if he can fulfill a 2,600 word to Israel, he can fulfill a 2,000 word to his church. Amen. And I'm weeping and I go, man, I'm being introduced. And, and then I'm sitting there and the people come over and say, Daniel, you're not supposed to be sitting here. You're supposed to be over with the kosher people. He says, I'm where I belong. God. He said, I'm in the right place. And I'm just going, and I'm weeping. I'm going, God, I'm being introduced. And I'm, he goes, what's wrong? I said, I'm being introduced and I'm meeting what I've been grafted into. I've been grafted into you. And this is why I said, God, if you'll fulfill a 2,600-year word to him, how could I ever doubt any of your promises to me? Do you get that? If God is keeping that word, he will keep it. God says not one punctuation mark of my word will not be Fulfill. When you watch Israel and you watch God doing what he said, when you're having a hard time believing for God to get you a job, to get you off this wall, onto that wall. Well, I don't know. Bless God. He's keeping his word for thousands of years. He'll keep his word to you. Why don't you just rise up and call it done in Jesus' name? Amen. This is getting better all the time. See, for us, our purpose is for an appointed time. Then we're going to be removed, and then God will finish his work in Israel. The final judgment will begin when that which is restraining is taken out of the way. Go with me quickly, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him... We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter, as if from us, though the day of Christ had come. And so Paul is talking about two, talking about our gathering together to be the Lord, but also the judgment of God coming. Because Paul and, and the church at that time was under severe persecution. People are being martyred, they're being killed, Paul's being in prison, and they're going, man, is this it? So Paul said, don't be shaken by what you're seeing happen to us as if the day of the Lord had happened. This is just suffering for righteousness sake. This is the persecution that the word of God and Jesus even told us about. Let no man deceive you by means, by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first 
And the man of sin revealed the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. So God is a God of purpose, and he's a God of appointed times and seasons. At the appointed time, Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. In the fullness of time, at the appointed time, everything happened. The disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, will you restore the kingdom at this time? Jesus says, that's not for you to know. That is in the Father's hand. It has an appointed time. You need to know you're supposed to be about my business. And that's the other thing that gets us confused. Not only do we get confused about Israel and the church, we get very confused about times and seasons, and we are so nosy and such busybodies. We want to know everything. We want to know in advance. We think we have a right to know. <laughs> Why can't I know? I want to know. I'm not supposed to know. The final judgment will begin when that which is taken is restrained. So look what he said. And I told you that that which is restrained, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. He is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. And the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And if he goes, you go. If the Holy Ghost leaves, you leave with him. He is your helper. He's going to be with you, in you, and upon you. So wherever he goes, you goeth. Are you with me? So if he is removed as the restrainer, and then when he is out of the way, and when the church is out of the way, lawlessness takes over. Amen? And so the tribulation begins. That final judgment begins. Are you with me? So lawlessness will be released, and judgment will come upon those who have rejected the truth, as it goes on to say. Look at this dispensational line, if you would, right here. So what you have is where we are and what we're trying to reveal to you is that we began with the Old Testament prophetic era, and then we come to Christ, and then that goes up, and it's kind of put in whole. We have this parenthetical space. We have the church age that we are in, the mystery era, and then we see right now. How many of you know when Paul wrote that says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the end? How many could look around and say, you know what, this is the days of Noah? They're given in marriage. There's no respect for authority. All this other stuff. It just the, the, the type of immorality described. It's just there. So we're going, man, how much more, how much different could it be? And so we're looking at that, man, this is pretty much it. I keep looking around, man, we can't get any weirder than we are today. I mean, we're trying awful hard. It's like every day, but this is how weird can we come up with stuff. But you think about that. And, and there's people that know, we're, we're going to make everything better. Look, we are smarter as, a, as humanity. We have more education than we have ever had before. We have more resources. We have more technology. And we are dumber than we have ever been before. We're doing more dumb things. And then we're defending stupidity. The hallmark of intelligence today is to defend stupid. It's an oxymoron. Amen. 
Watch it. And so, so we have the last days, and then you have the rapture of the church, and then you have the time of the tribulation, and then we have Christ coming back. We have the millennial reign. You have Satan bound, and then you have at the end of a thousand years, he comes out. We have the apostasy, and then you have the new heavens and the new earth. How many glad that God's just not going to refurbish the earth? How many glad he's not just going to remodel? He's not, this isn't flip or flop. God's not just going in remodeling a few rooms, doing everything so he can resell it. Amen. There's going to be a new, he's going to tear this thing down and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be raised up. It's going to come out of resurrection. You are redeemed through resurrection. You are redeemed from death to life. That is life in Christ. We are buried when we died with Christ. We identify with his death. He vicariously died for us. We, we die with him. We are buried in baptism, in the water of baptism, and then by faith. Thank God for by faith. Aren't you glad you don't have to die for your sins? He died for you. So you identify with his death, and then in baptism, you're raised in newness of life, and you're supposed to be living a new life, in resurrection life, which is no longer connected to this world because you've been translated out of this kingdom, and you're a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, and that's where your home is. That's where your destiny is. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah. And so look at this next part. So just as there is a distinction between Israel and the church, there's a distinction between the second coming of Christ and the rapture or the catching away of the saints, the church, based on purpose. So the church has a purpose and Israel has purpose. Nothing, and, and as I began to see and then as we went on the trip to Israel, I began to find out that God is doing a parallel work. Meaning that he is fulfilling his word to Israel because he's going to go. Go, go back to that last s slide there, David. You see here, you're seeing that the Old Testament area, he's going to this area where he's going to fulfill it and get all the way through. And so he's keeping this parallel run that's going there of, of, of fulfilling the Old Testament that gets us to that point of the millennial reign, the thousand year reign of Christ where he rules the nation with a rod of iron. And he comes back and sets up the kingdom, the day of atonement, everything is fulfilled. And so, but also this other is running parallel with him. So as we're there, we're there in Israel. We're in the old city of Israel. And, and our guide, Abraham, goes, hey, somebody turn to Zechariah chapter 8 and begin to read in verse 1. And he says that God's going to restore the city and restore the, everything happening there. And the children and the old man will be playing there. And Zechariah goes, he goes, hey, you guys read that. And then he goes, look around you. It's happening right now. Glory to God, I'm crying again. Oh, my God. <laughs> This is awesome. Amen. God, how many know God's smarter than we are? Amen. So look at Nothing in the gospel is tied to the tangible and temporal things of this world. When you read the gospel, nothing ties you to the tangible and temporal things of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. All of our hope and expectation is in going to the place he prepared for us. So remember again, God is a God of purpose. Everything he does is on purpose and for purpose and according to his eternal purpose. If we miss that, we mess everything up. So I have to understand his purpose for Israel as a nation and his purpose for the church. They are the two parallel works he's doing in the earth connected together by God's eternal plan. Yet they're distinctly different in purpose. When we miss this, we bring confusion into much of our understanding and interpretation of God's word. Look at this next part. When it comes to Israel and the church, there's three main areas of interpretation of how they blend together. 
One is replacement theology. Replacement theology says that the covenants and promises of God given to Israel have now been transferred to the Gentile church. The reason they believe that is because they blame Christ and the Jews for killing Jesus. The Jews did not kill Jesus. Your sin killed him. Jesus said, do you remember Jesus said, nobody takes my life. I lay down my life and I take it back up. The Father has given me that authority. No man takes my life. I choose to lay it down. In the accordance of how they, God's plan orchestrated that it would come about this way. But when you go back into the definition of the church, when you define instead of the called out ones, the assembly, when you start defining it as a church, that's where that distinction between Israel and the church goes. Can I just give you some of the founding fathers when the, when the interpretation, I didn't have time to read this in first service, but I want you to hear this this morning. It says this, that as they begin to uh, define the church when the, when, when the scriptures began to be getting written beginning in the early ages in uh, one, 110 to 160 AD uh, Marcion Sinope wrote this or let me just skip down Justin Martyr said this who lived from 100 to 165 AD an early Christian apologist wrote this dialogue with Typho, with, with, with Trypho the Jew in which he claimed God's covenant with Israel was no longer valid and that the Gentiles had replaced them so back in, 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 in 100 A.D., in that early area there, they were declaring that God had no longer, was no longer keeping His covenant with Israel. The church had replaced them. Tertullian, from 160 to 220, was another Gentile Christian apologist who blamed the Jews for the death of Jesus. John Christendom, from 344 to 407, denounced the Jews in a series of sermons to Christians who were taking part in Jewish festivals and other Jewish observances. Jerome, from 347 to 420, produced the Latin translation of the Bible, which became the official Bible of the Catholic Church, and he said, Jews are incapable of understanding Scripture. They should be severely punished until they confess the true faith. Augustine Hippo, from 1354 to 1430, spiritualized the kingdom of God, introduced all millennial thinking into the mainstream church. Augustine maintained that the Jews deserved death, but were destined to wander the earth to witness the victory of the church over synagogues. And so when you define the ecclesia as the church and not the called out assembly, when you take away the grafting into the root and you begin to make this replacement and you take covenants out that God reached in and pulled the church out and has replaced them, then you come up with a theology that is anti-Semitic. The Reformation tried to return the tried to return the Gentile church to its early roots, but sadly this, not, this did not involve the return to the Jewish roots of origin of the original Ecclesia. For example, Martin Luther became frustrated by Jewish unwillingness to embrace his own interpretation of Christianity and became one of the most bitter anti-Semites in history. His writing describes Jews as worse than devils. Jews were prisoners, ritual murderers, and parasites who should be expelled from Germany. His even, he, he even went so far as to rouse a mob to burn synagogues to the ground and to seize Jewish holy books. Later, Adolf Hitler would tell Germany that his final solution was just an attempt to finish the work that Luther had began. Are you listening to me? 
And so it's happening. So people have, have made that distinction. We believe in remnant theology in which the Gentile church partakes of the covenant and promises given to the remnant Israel and Gentile Christians now must find our identity with the remnant of Israel, meaning we are grafted in as I showed you before. Are you with me this morning? I apologize for throwing so much at you, but we've been on pablum so long it's time for some meat. Hallelujah. And then there's separation theology. Look at this next one. Separation theology draws a hard line between the church and Christianity. It doesn't allow for the grafting in and for the blending and for the spirit of adoption. It's where the covenants and promises given to Israel are not transferred to the Gentile church. The church is a new spiritual entity with distinct purpose and destiny, and that is in error. (coughs) Excuse me. So as I close, let's talk about this. The second coming of the Lord. The second coming of Christ. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. You got a few more minutes? And I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he does what? He does what? Judge and make what? War. Okay, this is the coming of the Lord. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. His name is called the Word of God. John 1.1, 1, 1, and the Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among. Okay. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. How many know that's us? My pastor friend, Thomas Dombey Carlos, who pastored, he was uh, retired in Palisadro. We were in Bernie. I met him. He's a cool old guy. And he'd come up and he'd preach. And he goes, glory to God, I'm going to heaven. And then I'm coming back with Jesus. And I'm going to have a big white horse. I'm like, woo! That's awesome. Amen. How many know that we will literally know what it means to wear the armor of God in that day? Amen. And now watch this. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the who? Smite who? The nation. So who's being dealt with here? Nation. Nation. And he shall rule them with what? A rod of iron. How many know Jesus is not ruling us with a rod of iron? It doesn't apply. We are are seated and we are ruling and reigning with Christ. Are you with me? So there's a distinction here. How do we put these two together? You can't. And he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of almighty God. And we have not been appointed unto wrath. So the apostles and the early church fathers preached the coming of hope and the imminent return of the Lord and are gathering together unto him. That's what they declared. That we have this hope and we carry this with us. But when we read it, These texts, we find an entirely different set of events concerning the coming of the Lord that seem to be focused on a whole different precedent. So we see the catching away of the saint. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as we put it up. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have what? No No hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them who also would sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Or Paul said, the Lord's coming, but he didn't want them to get scared because everybody's afraid. What about people who passed away? What's going to happen? Jesus said, Paul says there's going to be a resurrection. They go first and then we're transformed right after them. But alive unto the coming of the Lord. How many know what we read, just read in Revelation, doesn't parallel this at all? 
This is a totally different set of precedent. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a what? With a shout. Not with a sword and fire and horses and an army. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. How many know there was no trump of God in that last verse? Okay. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. How many know that's not mentioned there? So two separate events. Now look at verse 17 and 18. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be what? With the Lord. So none of this is in the book of Revelation. But here's this event that Paul is talking about, but it's specifically to the called out ones, to the ecclesia, to that assembly. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So these two events, the catching away and the second coming of Christ, are two different areas. Look at them. With the second, with the, 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 the translation of the saint, it, uh, the catching away, all, there's a translation of all believers. As we just read, no translation of anyone. The imminent, if it is imminent, it could take place at any moment, and there's no signs leading up to it. And just to think, that'll be, it'll look kind of like this, and it could come imminent at any time. But the second coming of the Lord follows definite, predicted series of events that has, contains many signs. The catching away of the saints is never mentioned in the Old Testament. But yet the fulfillment of the second coming of the Lord is repeatedly mentioned. You go through Daniel, you go through Ezekiel, you go through the prophets, it's declared there. This is for believers only. And the second coming of the Lord involves everyone. Are you with me? All right. So the word rapture comes from the term harpezo, which means to seize, to snatch out, or to carry away by force. When you dig a little further, it means that there are those who are prepared. It means to raise upward, to elevate, to lift up. It means to take up oneself. It means to prefer to choose. How many want to be in the preferred chosen group? That's all I'm saying. Let me close with this as Bill comes back. Jesus gave us the outline for these events in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 19. He said this. Jesus says to John, he says, the things which thou hast seen, write down the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things that will be hereafter. Three things you've seen, things that have been, the things that are now, and the things that are going to be hereafter. Hereafter what? Is this, Revelation 4.1. After this, I looked and behold, after this, I looked and behold, a door opened in heaven. And the voice which I heard was if it, as it were a what? Trumpet. Talking with me, which said what? Come up hither. First Thessalonians 4, we just read it. And I will show you things which must be what? Here. Things which are. Things which you've seen. Things which are. Things which shall be hereafter. And I will show you the things that must be hereafter. And so John, as a representative of the church, sees the door open heaven, and he's called up there. Now, from chapter 4, verse 1 on, his perspective is from heaven, looking down on everything that's taking place on the earth. Are you with me? So he's seen everything in the time of the tribulation from heaven looking down. Not walking in it on the earth, but looking at it from heaven. After this, the church... After this, meaning the church. The church is mentioned 18 times in the first, <coughs> excuse me, 
first three chapters, the letters to the seven church, to the church, to the church, to the church, to the ecclesia, to the called out ones right there. And God gives his word of correction and instruction to them in those seven church ages. And he talks to them. And the, and the represent, there's actually seven church ages represented there. And, and we see parallels in that. We are living in the Laodicean church. Amen? That's a whole other lesson. Anyway, but then after that, the church or the called out ones are never mentioned again in the book of Revelation until chapter 22 and verse 19. So what happens? How come we're excluded? Because guys, we're not there. We don't have to be there. I don't know about you. I've read that. It confuses me, but I don't want to be here to figure it out. If you want to stay here and go through that and figure that out, come on. That is not special effects. That is not Hollywood. That's the real deal. People say, well, chapter 9, well, there was a beast that came up, had a head like a lion and, and, and a tail like a scorpion, and all this stuff did that. Well, 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 those are helicopters that shoot bullets. No, I believe God has something that looks exactly like that. You deal with it any way you want to do, look at it any way you want. It's not allegorical. John says, man, that's what that thing looked like, and that's what it was, and doing that. I, he can create anything. I've seen a duck-billed platypus. If there's such a thing as a duck-billed platypus, that beast exists. That's all I know. Amen. Anyway, so watch it. So where does that leave us today? It leaves us, why, why is this message so important to you today? Because you've lived in the culture. Let me ask you this. How many things that we accept today, how much have we become desensitized to today? Think how much we as a people, as a whole, have been desensitized to things. You don't have to be very old to look back and remember the things that are going on today. You would have never expected to see, let alone them, be accepted. And we're just going along with the flow because we're desensitized. We've seen it so much. We're bombarded with it so much. Everything you turn, every new program today, every new program. Now we got commercials that have gay couples kissing and getting married and doing and we're continually being desensitized and re and our identity being redefined. And so in that world we, we just get these and we need to be reminded the Lord is coming. And you can't just decide, I'll, I'll straighten my life out sooner or later. I'll, you better live ready today. It can, when you look at the world and everything going on and the confusion and everything and everything promised about that, the church more than ever needs, needs to live ready today. As a believer, you should just be, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get too attached. Amen. I'm going to be ready. Amen. Get up every morning, a little rapture practice, do a few stretches, a couple jumps. Amen. People say, Pastor, rapture is escapism. No, it's not. It's promise. It's promise. Rapture is not escapism. It's promise and it's fulfilled purpose. And when the church, part of what's happening is, people say, well, why is he waiting so long? Because we don't want to do our job. We've been inoculated by this world and we only want to come to church for ourselves. We only want to live for ourselves. We're going to work for ourselves. We're going to retire for ourselves. We're going to buy our stuff for ourselves. And we're living our lives for ourselves and the world is going to hell around us. 
Lord says, there's going to be a moment. I believe this. There's going to be a moment when he's going to say, my assembly is complete. Connected to souls. So it's not escape. It's fulfilled purpose. Fulfilled purpose. And when we fulfill the purpose of God, he moves on and he completes the eternal purpose. Amen? So be connected. If it's important enough for you to be here today, don't come alone. Make sure somebody comes with you. If it's important enough for you to go to heaven and to live right, make sure somebody else makes it. Read the book of Revelation. Read about the judgment coming. Who do you know that you want to go through that? If you actually have that much animosity in your heart towards somebody that you hope they go through the book, through the tribulation, you need to get saved. Because you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart. And Jesus says, when you stand praying, if you do not forgive, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. God is not going to let your unforgiveness into heaven. He will not let you contaminate heaven again. Are you listening to me? And so we just have to live up today. But think about God. Who should I be ministering to? Who should I reach out? Don't let me go alone. This is important stuff. And the early church was so ready. That's why the Bible says the Lord was adding to the church daily. Every week, we should be seeing people come to the Lord because we're where God, you could come at any moment. Lord, I don't want my friends to perish. I don't want anybody to perish. This is the day of salvation. Look, it said in 1 Corinthians that we're all going to be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. It's going to happen without any warning. 1 Corinthians 6 says that this is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Don't hold it off. Today is the day to receive Christ. Bow your heads with me. You're here today. You say, Pastor Don, I've never been in such an intense service. I've never listened to so much information in one service in all my life. Good. The reality is, here's the question, my friend. Do you really know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you living for Him the way you should be? Is your lamp filled with oil and is your wick trimmed and ready? Are you living in a state of preparedness and readiness? Are you living to please the Lord? The Lord could return at any time, and He returns in an hour when nobody expects Him to come. We pray about, am I in a right condition to receive communion in the body of the Lord? I don't want to eat and drink damnation to myself. I don't want to wrongly discern the Lord's body and do them with that. So my question, are you in a place of relationship where you need to be with the Lord today? This is the warning. This was always warn one another, encourage one another, exhort one another. Don't let people be ignorant of this because the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And we are to live to be ready, live to be prepared. The early church was built upon this, the urgency, living in preparedness before God, walking in holiness and purity before God. If you're here today and you know there's something in your life needs to change. Something needs to be right. There's something in your wick. You need to trim your wick. You need to fill your oil. But you're here today and say, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. Whatever it's been. I like going to church. I like hearing sermons. I like that. But I haven't made that decision. I haven't sold my life out. We're going to pray right now. Everybody.